Good evening. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Open our hearts to receive what you have in store for us. Let everything of me be forgotten and everything of you be remembered. In Jesus' name, amen. Please open with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23. Follow along as I read our verse for this evening. 2 Timothy 2.23, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. We're continuing our series on sins of the tongue. Tonight, let us see how Timothy is being admonished by his father in the faith to avoid the sin of quarreling by discerning whether a controversy is even worthy of a response. Timothy is in Ephesus around A.D. 64 to shepherd the church there. He receives this letter, 2 Timothy to us, containing what would be Paul's final advice to his cherished son in the faith. To avoid the sin of quarreling by discerning whether a controversy is even worthy of a response. Sorry. Uh, 2 Timothy, Paul has now seen that he will not escape this imprisonment with his life. Therefore, we take great care in seeking to understand and apply its wisdom to the church today. It is the command of the Holy Spirit to all believers. Earlier in the letter, Paul states that he still has a care for Asia and the believers there, though as he has said, many have turned away from him. Paul's goal is to strengthen Timothy in the faith through the knowledge Paul gave him in order that more men would be raised up to shepherd their flock in the region spreading the truth throughout Asia, the Roman Empire, and now to us. In tonight's verse, we see that Timothy is up against some type of controversy, most likely the controversy of those who taught that the resurrection of the dead had already taken place. Although there were no shortage of controversy in the early church, much like today, Ephesus was at the crossroads of commerce and a center of idol worship for the entire region. There's no telling how many false believers crept in to dispute the clear gospel teachings of Paul and now Timothy. Thankfully, Paul goes on in chapter 3 to say that those bringing controversy will not prevail, which gives us great confidence in the power of the words he gives Timothy to have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. Now let us take a closer look at this verse. Defining terms is important if we are to rightly apply the text. First, have nothing to do with. Avoid. Don't even give them your attention to these controversies. Why? Because they are foolish. It's the word moros. We get the word moron. It's dull and stupid. It's even used seven times in Matthew by Jesus to describe many people from the one who builds his house upon the sand to the hypocritical scribes and Pharisees who make pretenses about the altar to fill their coffers. So some controversies are foolish and also ignorant. Apiedutos. Here we have a singular use of a word in the New Testament. Paul is saying to the people, saying the people bringing the controversy have never come under chastisement or instruction. So we see that controversy can be both stupid and come from those who have never been chastened. That begs the question, what is controversy? Controversies, zetesis, 
is a questioning or a debate. It does carry the weight of bringing a dispute and not simple curiosity. Paul has used it before in his first letter about this very subject. That's why he can say that Timothy knows. To know is Ido, to have knowledge of or to have seen. He knows that controversies breed quarrels. Breed is ganao. It's to become the father of, give birth to, or be the mother of. It is the word begat. Quarrels is make. It's fights, not to be taken lightly. These are not simple quibbles, but they promote the idea of danger. In James, this word is translated as fight, interchangeable with quarrel, which leads to killing to get what you want. As Jesus taught, hating is breaking the commandment, thou shalt not kill. In Exodus 17, we learn the history of Massa and Meribah. Moses had to deal with the same heart posture that we see in our verse tonight. People so desperate that they were ready to murder their neighbors and question the goodness of the great I am. Meribah means to quarrel. So here we have Paul's advice to Timothy on how to deal with controversy so as to prevent the sin of quarreling, where we could bring such dispute among ourselves as to distrust the very Lord of glory. Last week, Josh warned us not to be silent when it comes to confronting sin. Tonight, we hear a warning that there may be topics that do not require our voice. I love the tension we encounter when we embrace the truth of Holy Scripture in its entirety. Following Reformation Sunday, what a joy it is to study the complete word of God. Paul is writing advice to a church leader based on God's expectations. There are the same expectations of any believer, but vitally important to those God has called to exercise authority. A couple of verses later, Paul reminds Timothy that kindness and solid teaching will win over his opponents, as it will ours. We are not to retaliate nor to tongue-lash those in opposition, but to simply stay the course of our captain. We do not work for those who bring foolish, ignorant controversies, but for Christ, who is calling the elect unto himself. Therefore, we come to our main idea from this verse. Timothy is to avoid the debates brought about by those who have never been taught because he's already seen that they will cause fights. We are to do likewise. So how do we accomplish that? I'd like to suggest three considerations to bring us clarity when faced with foolish, ignorant controversies in order that we too may avoid the quarrels that they produce. Number one, consider the controversy. Consider the controversy. Number two, consider your opponent. Consider your opponent. And number three, consider your God. Consider your God. First, consider the controversy. Is it foolish? John Calvin offers us a simple test. Calvin says, he calls them foolish because they are uninstructive. That is, they contribute nothing to godliness, whatever show of acuteness that they may hold out. When we were wise in a useful manner, then alone are we truly wise. Let us remember this remarkable of te testimony of Paul that questions, which are held in high estimation, 
are nevertheless foolish because they are unprofitable. Calvin. Or put another way, foolish, ignorant controversies don't amount to a hill of beans. Examples in our modern time might even be as moronic as engaging with someone about the existence of aliens. What possible fruit could come of that? Are there aliens? Obey Christ. Are there no aliens? Obey Christ. Some controversies aren't as obviously foolish, but contribute nothing to godliness still. What will our resurrection bodies be like? What is heaven like exactly? What about near-death experiences? These endless speculations can consume our energy and keep us from the work of the gospel. What about politics? Are we seeking to win people to the right side of history or the right side of eternity? I spent untold hours on Facebook trying to convince people of a particular way of thinking. I was arguing from a position of pride, seeking to be right. I was the one engaging in foolish, ignorant controversies. By God's grace, I realized the unfruitfulness of this controversy and left that burden at the cross. So we've considered the controversy, but what of your opponent in the debate? <clears throat> Therefore, we have point two, consider your opponent. When faced with a controversy, we must discern our opponent's intentions. Is there doubt or is there defiance? Are they desiring instruction or a contest? Is their argument based on logic and reason, or do they have ulterior motives? The sword of truth is the test. The word of God reveals the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Read your Bible. But what if your opponent is simply uninformed? What of evangelizing the lost? What of fellow believers with doubts? Let us hear from Charles Spurgeon. Some of us who have preached the word for years and have been the means of working faith in others and of establishing them in the knowledge of the fundamental doctrines of the Bible have nevertheless been the subjects of the most fearful and violent doubts as to the truth of the very gospel we have preached. Charles Spurgeon. We forget that questions are a sign of interest and that doubts are a sign of struggling to believe. Be careful not to dismiss someone as controversial who is simply seeking truth. We have to remember that we are all disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And be certain, a disciple is one who wants to be taught. So is the question coming from someone uneducated in doctrine? Are they discipled by mature believers or just living in speculation? Not all of us have read your favorite book on the subjects near to your heart. Eschatology, spiritual warfare, doctrines that are worthy of consideration, but they can lead to quarrels as well. You must remember Paul's call to humility in Philippians 2.3. Do nothing from, foolish, from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. What if we find ourselves to be the opponent? Again, Calvin offers guidance. The disciples should speculate soberly with great moderation, cautiously guarding against allowing our mind or our tongue to go a step beyond the confines of God's word. Institutes, Book 1, Chapter 13. 
This knowledge keeps us grounded to make sure we are not the ones bringing the foolish, ignorant controversies. This brings us to the crux of the matter and our final consideration tonight. Point three, consider your God. Consider your God. As I said earlier, what a pleasure it is to revel in the word of our Lord. In the first letter to Timothy, Paul emphasized that God desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Let us consider that in the light of the truth of Psalm 73. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. If you're not a believer here tonight or watching later, we invite your questions. We invite you to bring your misunderstandings and even your debate. Why do Christians act like they're better than me? Or don't you just sin with a get-out-of-hell-free card? We are all ruined sinners in the light of the holiness of our God. We bring nothing to our salvation except the sin that made it necessary. What is sin? Doesn't God want me to be happy and follow my heart? God is good and he orchestrates all things for your good and his glory. This is why before the foundation of the world, he chose in his divine will that men and women from every nation should be set free from the power of sin and death by the atoning sacrifice of his holy his only son, Jesus Christ, upon the cross. If you are not in a sanctifying relationship with Christ tonight, that is the only, consideration, only controversy worthy of your consideration. Please speak to someone and realize that there is nothing more foolish than ignoring the fate of your soul. If you are a believer, you will hear later in First Peter about your responsibility to the unbeliever. You are not free to ignore open, honest dialogue or even debate from someone who asks about the hope that lies in you. You're encouraged to ignore controversies from the believing and unbelieving scoffers, malcontents, and busybodies, but not those Jesus is drawing unto himself. However, sometimes you may be called upon to correct heresy directly, not even allowing for discussion of the foolish, ignorant controversy. If you're a young disciple, do not take the advice of the world that encourages you to make your own mistakes. Take Paul's advice to young Timothy and shun youthful lusts. If you're a mature disciple and you've made those mistakes, remember Jesus after healing the blind man. Your sin and his rescue display the power of God. Embrace the truth and enter into his rest and receive the oil of gladness. So let us embrace what this verse says about us and what it says about our God. We are prideful. Where we would jealously seek our own good, the Father sent Jesus to provide a way for us. God is love. His love extends so far beyond ours. Where we would quarrel and murder, he sent Jesus to provide a sacrifice for us. In our verse, God, through Paul to Timothy, is asking us to trust the process and not put ourselves in the way. As Keith has said recently, we cause problems when we try to fix things ourselves. 
God is fully aware of our, thought, our flaws in understanding the mysteries of the faith. However, his effectual calling does not require our knowledge. It simply commands our joyful obedience. His effectual calling does not require our knowledge. It simply commands our joyful obedience. To close, a weapon, by definition, is a burden that we would lay aside as soon as we are safely able. The fact that we're called to carry the sword of truth throughout this pilgrimage means that it is not safe here, and we must be always prepared to battle falsehood, but we must not blunt our sword upon the rocks of endless speculation. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for the holy mysteries in your word that keep us humble. Help us to never lose sight of who you are and let all of your holiness guide our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name, amen.